following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. This is the story of one family. And even though that kind of ends with sort of a sombering note, this is exactly how the author of Hebrews is kind of working. He's like always doing this. He's like, here's the good news, but don't forget. Here's the good news, don't forget. Here is the good news, do not forget. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray that the Lord would help us hear and see and trust the good news and never, ever forget. Please pray with me. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you for all that you give us. We thank you for this time and this place where we can grow in your word. I pray, Lord, that you would set our hearts free from all those things that we put in between us and you. We kind of keep you at arm's length. Set us free from that. Welcome us into your presence. Give us your peace. Give us your grace and your mercy. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So i got to ask you guys today, today's about family. And each of us come from a different family, right? We all could tell stories. And uh, I'm going to pick on Mike one time because I love this story. He said, he said, now Mark, I'm Italian. And we were talking about his birthday. And he said, with, a birthday, with our birthdays, what we do is we have like, it's like the Olympics. We have opening ceremonies. And we just keep going all the way. And, and that's kind of the way I, I love that because, because that's, that's an example of family, right? That shows you how family works. And see, each of you, I could, t- I could pick on all of you. I won't do it. Don't worry about it. But we could talk about stories about how we do things in our family. Now, I want you to think about family because some of us may have grown up in a family like mine, okay? Now, if you did, watch out. So, so I grew up in a little town called Hebron, Nebraska, and in that town, it's the closest I've ever seen to this other town which you might have seen on television called Mayberry. Now, those younger of us may have never known what that means, but it was this like little perfect Hollywood town, right? It was Hollywood created this perfect town, and everything was great. I mean, they had a few adventures in Mayberry, right? That's why we still needed the sheriff and all that. Um, but, but, but generally speaking, it was like that. And so literally in my town that I grew up in, you could walk down the road, and the apple pies were literally cooling in the windowsills. I mean, it was that typical, that stereotypical of a little town, that, and everybody knew everybody, and you could go out and ride your bike all over town as long as you're home by the time the streetlights kicked on. I mean, that was, that was my generation. That was where I grew up. And my family was this, you know, we were a nuclear family, which now means, I don't know what it means, but then it meant you had a mom and a dad and three kids and a white picket fence, you know, and a two-car garage or whatever. That was just what it was. And now that's kind of despised and people don't want it and all that stuff, and that's fine. But that was what I grew up in. What was your family like? Because I want you to think about this. So did you have a mom and a dad? Some of you did, some of you didn't. Or some of you did and it wasn't a good situation. Some of you did, and maybe it was okay some of the time and not other times. Maybe, maybe you had tragedy in your family. Maybe you had violence in your family. Maybe you had comedy in your family. You know, sometimes you think about your mom and your dad. Maybe you think about your siblings, right? And I'm always telling my kids, love your siblings, right? And so be good to them. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe you're thinking about your cousins. Oh, yeah, me and the cousins, we used to go down to the river and get in all kinds of trouble on Friday nights. We don't, we don't want to talk about them in church, right? That's, so see, this is how family works. Or maybe you have people who are family that you're not related to, right? Most families have family that you're not related to. In other words, you don't share a, you don't share a genetic structure, but you're still family. I always like to call Martin Luther, I always call him my Uncle Marty. We're not related by family, but we're related by the blood of Jesus, right? And that's a good way to talk about him, to introduce him. But, 
But yeah, we have family, right? And, th- and we all, this is a framework that even though we all have different experiences, some good, some bad, some in the middle, we all know what it means. We all understand it. And part of our life is actually learning what family means. Part of our life is learning that sometimes family involves a lot of suffering. Have you guys ever noticed this? Am I the only one who noticed this? Even in Mayberry, right? Even in Hebrew, Nebraska, family can involve suffering. Because people are together and they're broken. And when you get people together who are broken, you got some trouble, right? And so it's really interesting how there's this, there's this passage we're going to study today from Hebrews 2 that is all about being family. Take a look at Hebrews 2 verse 10. And right off the bat, the language of family comes flying at us. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Isn't that interesting? So now the first thing we've got to do is we've got to talk about many sons. Because if you're sitting there and you're like, what about the ladies? Don't they, get in, don't they get in on the family? And the answer is absolutely yes. But this was a culture where men and women had different ability to achieve different statuses within that. And so um, throughout the New Testament, there is this powerful description that there is equality among men and women in the kingdom of God. They're of equal value. There's differences, certainly. They're men and they're women. There are differences. But there's equality in terms of the rights as sons, as we read in Galatians 4, 3 and 4, right after he just got done saying there's no difference between male and female in God's kingdom. And yet, there's no difference in value. There's difference in capability and all the, or not capability, but all these things that we do. The things, you know, you know, like we always like to say at our house, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? This is how it works. And so family, so many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering, right? Like what? And, and immediately what we're talking about, when we're talking about suffering, is we're talking about the cross. We're talking about Jesus dying on the cross. We're talking about things like this happening. And we're talking about like, like suffering, like he was brutally executed for you and for me. And why should that matter, right? That's what he's trying to say. He's saying this whole thing, this whole thing, to do this whole thing was fitting. Like there's a, it was, there was a reason behind it. There was a purpose behind it. Take a look at verse 11. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. The literal reading of that, they're all of one. It just says of one. And you know, because we've been talking about sons and daughters and brothers and sisters, then we, we, we add the word family to explain the one. And, and so what's really interesting is both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So see, this is so powerful because it causes us to see different. It causes us to see one another different because how often do you look at yourself as one who has been made holy? Do you see yourself that way? And then when you look across the the room that you're in, do you see that person as holy? as one who has been made holy. Because I think most of us grow up thinking, oh, I better be holy or God's not going to like me. And when in reality, what does the word holy mean? Holy means different. It means utterly different, utterly set apart. That's the biblical definition of holy. It means so different that yes, it can include some aspect of goodness because when it's so different, there's some goodness to that. But that goodness is a, 
is a separate thing. Righteousness is a separate thing. Holy means different. And that's exactly what we have been made. We're, we're of the same family because we've been made holy. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. We cannot underestimate the importance of the fact that Jesus calls you his brother or his sister. In Romans chapter 8, we're told that we are co-heirs with Christ. See, this is, this is beyond our comprehension of the, of the impact of this. Because see, when you start to see yourself in that light, then you have a chance by the power of the Holy Spirit to see one another that way. Take a look at Hebrews 2 verse 14. Since the children, there's that family vocabulary. He just keeps rolling with it. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, referring to Jesus, he too shared in their humanity. So in other words, God came down from heaven to be with you and me, to be humans like we are, but to be like humans the way humanity was always supposed to have been. And then Adam and Eve chose something different. What humanity was supposed to have been, and then all of that, why? So that by his death, he might, and then the word there in the NIV is destroy, but I think in our, in our culture, destroy means to annihilate. It's just whatever was there is gone now. And the Greek word is more of like remove from power. Like when you go in and you take the king off the throne. Because that's what happened. A lot of people will have this, this view. We talked about this a little bit last week. We have to keep it going through the whole book of Hebrews because it's one of the reasons it was written. And that is this idea that the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God was different than he is in the New Testament. And that is patently false. What changed, when it all changed, is when the world changed. Because there's a new ruler. There's a new king. And so used to, the world was ruled by the evil one. This is what this says. It says that it was by Jesus' death that he removed the evil one from power. And now, there is someone different on the throne. And I know you're sitting there going, yeah, Mark, when I'm looking around, I'm still seeing a world that looks pretty ruled by the devil. And may I just say to you, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because in this world, and I know we'll, we, we, we will talk about how few, how few the number of people go to church, and I get that. We'll talk about how few the number of people who participate in helping their communities or whatever. We, we, we'll, we'll lament those things. And, and that's true. That's a good thing. We want more people to know the story. We want more family, more children of God. But the reality is that hurricane that is rolling out North Carolina, for which we'll pray for and pray for the people there, will immediately be met by, a, by a groups like Convoy of Hope and other churches and local people and all kinds of people that will immediately show up and start helping. They're already doing it as we speak. We will look at stories about how a family will be broken and people will step in to help the family, help the children. We will be, we can, we can any one of us might get sick and what would happen is we would go to a hospital, right? Hospitals didn't exist in the time, in the, before these times. Okay? when there was a different king on the throne. We, we could talk about how books had never been invented until Christians were like, we need to get the word of God out to people. And they created this thing called a codex where they could assemble the writings together, which eventually became, well, it was called a biblios. That was the Greek word for book. Right? We, we might know it as Bible. And this is the whole process of how the world has changed and how you and I can go home today and we may have conflict in our family. We may argue with one another and then at some point we have the power by the Holy Spirit given to us through Jesus to say, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't, I shouldn't, my words shouldn't be like that. They shouldn't be daggers to your heart. Please forgive me. And then 
That person who hears that word, who has been forgiven, who heard the words this morning, you are forgiven, can respond in same. By the power of the Spirit. Without that, then what happens is the devil rules. And then it's just biting and gnashing of teeth and the devouring of one another. And we see that in places where the gospel has not reached. Oh, we got work to do. We got work to do. Take a look at verse 15 because what is the ultimate power here is that we would be set free, that that Jesus would set us free, those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Now here's my question to you. Do you fear death? See, I, I said that this morning and Bill was sitting over there, Bill Wallenberg, and he was like, nope. And I was like, praise God, Bill, that's what we want. You know? But it, 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 we, sometimes in our lives, we'll go through things and it will start to fear death. Right? And what, what God is here to say to us is that through Jesus, he wants to set us free from that because he has conquered death, the last enemy to be defeated. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. He has conquered death. And he did it not just by dying on the cross, not just through suffering, but by raising from the dead and walking out of the tomb, flesh and bones, walking out of the tomb. You are set free from all of that because of what he did. Take a look at chapter 2, verse 18. And see, this is so important because he himself suffered when he was tempted. Because of that, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is so important. So um, when I was at seminary, we had this group of guys that would sometimes get together and we talk about what we struggle with, right? And, and, and at one point, there was this discussion about, you know, I'm struggling. And one of the guys was like, you know, I'm struggling. I'm looking at pornography. You know, we're at seminary, and he's telling us this. And, you know, you, you, the question is, is how, how do we respond to that? And a lot of people think, oh, we can't talk about that because we're in a church environment or we're this or that or we're on a seminary campus or, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, that's precisely when we need to talk about it because human beings struggle with sin. We've talked about it. We're broken. And see, this is when the power comes to you and to me is to know that Jesus is able. It's a Greek word dunamis. It means power, right? And it's, it's this idea. He has the power to help those who are being tempted. So when should, we were talking during this meeting, when should we pray about that sin? When should we pray about that struggle when it's happening? You're like, Mark, no. I mean, not when all of that filth and everything. No, that's exactly when you should pray because Jesus has faced all of it. He's faced all of it. Jesus was baptized and immediately he was cast out into the desert with the devil to go three rounds. And he faced all of it, just like you and I face it. The difference is, is he was without sin. He was without sin. And we need him to continue to help us. And he is able. Hear those words. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. Because this is important. He says, he says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And this is what will happen. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but this is what happens to me, is sometimes I will have a failure for me, it usually involves too much pepperoni pizza, but that's another story. And so I will have a failure. Last week we had pizza here and people got extra pepperoni just for me. That was so nice. Or was it? And so, so we, will, we, we will have a failure and then what we will do is we will then keep God at further distance because of our failure. This is how it works. We'll think, oh my goodness, I blew that one. Because here's how it works. I don't know if this is I'm the only one. This is how it works with sin. Imagine, you're pull, we've said this before, pulling a rubber band, right? And you get to Monday, well, I'm, I'm keeping it pretty good, keep, keep, keep my nose clean. Tuesday, well, you know, at some point, that rubber band, right? 
And then all of a sudden we find ourselves wallowing in the mud. And that's when we're like, oh gosh. Or actually we will say, oh God. Right? We'll say it the way we mean it. And we will not allow our hearts to turn toward him. We'll turn away because of our shame. See? And he's saying, no, 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 no. You're set free. You're set free. Don't, don't listen to the lies, the deceitfulness of sin, okay, that turns away from the living God. He's alive and he's with you all the time. Hear me when I say it because he said it. He is with you all the time. He is the living God. And he will give your heart what is needed when you need it. Take a look. At, we're gonna, it's interesting we're going to verse 1 because this is the kind of the, the culmination of this. He says, Therefore, holy brothers, who share, that's the word for participate, we, we're, we're in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, okay, the apostle and the high priest whom we confess. And there's just, that's just one of, these, this one of these verses. It's got like 50 things going on. It's so powerful. But the first word there is share, participate. Okay? See, this is something very interesting. You can see it all the way back in the book of Genesis. You know, there's, there's these situations that come up, and God always uses a representative. He'll send somebody. Okay, uh, you know, there's this big problem. We're going to Noah, put Noah in the ark, and we're going to do all that. Noah, get, 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 get to building that ark, brother, because you've got work to do. Then there's Moses, right? Well, of course, there's, you know, all of these guys, but Moses is another one. And you're like, God, why don't you just walk into Pharaoh's palace and you just tell him, oh, I'm sending Moses. And then refers to it as if he himself were there. Would you believe that, and this is the hard part for you and me, that he wants to work through you. You're like, man, I'm no Moses. It's funny you should say that because that's what Moses said. He's like, you can't send me. God's like, actually, <laughs> yeah, I'm God. I want you to go. And, I, and if, if you and I could see, fix our eyes, if we could see that he wants you and me to participate in his grand plan, it'll change the world, starting with your family. Because you'll start to see the fam- your family for who they are. You'll start to see the people who aren't in it yet that they need to be. And it will impact the way you go through every aspect of your life. To see, share in the heavenly calling. Right? But then look at this. He says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. And then he describes Jesus with two very interesting words that are not common in our churchy vocabularies. He calls Jesus an apostle. Now, oftentimes, we'll refer to Paul as an apostle or Peter or John or these kinds of fellows as apostles because they were the sent ones, those who were sent. Right? But who was the first apostle? Jesus. He was sent from on high to a little manger in Bethlehem. Right, Born in a manger, to begin his ministry, to show us the way, and then to be the way by dying on the cross for you and for me. And so he was the first sent one. And then that second, that second word, the, the yellow word there, high priest. That, that, what? what? See, this is why we don't have priests in our church, right? Because we have one high priest, and his name is Jesus. And a priest, what that means is an intercessor. And you're like, okay, that really helps. No, it means it's someone between someone and someone else, right? So Jesus is the one who stands between us and God. But wait a minute, isn't Jesus God? Yeah, that's the good news, right? That's the whole thing. There is no barrier between us and God himself. The curtain in the, in the temple, when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was torn. There's no barrier between us and God. He has taken care of it. And then there's this, there's this idea of this we confess. Oh, and I, I, I missed one thing. There are still priests on the earth. Um, and I don't know how to say this in Texan, but it's all y'all, right? 
we, you know, we'll, some, we'll get there more later. We'll talk about this. But you and I are the priests, right? And so we're the go-between between those people who are out there who want to come home. And we are called to participate in that. Last words, we confess. So confess, we, we, we say this word in different ways. You, know, you can say confess your sins, which we did earlier. And you can say like, well, you know, I confess to you that I am you know, whatever. And that might be kind of the same kind of thing. But this means something different. It's this idea of speaking together, talking, saying the same things together. And so, so what's interesting is, is we can say that by saying, sometimes we'll say, well, our confessions are our doctrines. It's what we all agree to believe, teach, and confess. You know, it's kind of our faith tradition. We like to say it that way. And that's fine. That's true. That's great. But what would happen if 100 people confessed the apostle and the high priest who accomplished all of this through suffering. In other words, we're all saying the same thing when we're at work or at school or out going to shows or having fun at the lake. We're going to Silver Dollar City, wherever we might be going, and we're confessing. See, because there's, you know, there's someone who's running by and they trip and they fall and you reach over to help them and get them back up. That's confessing, right? And when we start talking to our neighbors and we see them as family, we're confessing. We're saying the same thing. Jesus loves you, right? This is what we're doing. And so we're going to do confession in a whole lot of different ways. But what it ultimately becomes is you and I get together with the Lord and we start learning how to use his vocabulary, which is family and love for all people. Can we pray about that? Can you join me in praying? Father, we love you so much and we ask you to help us confess, to say the same things together. And I pray boldly, Lord, that you would move each one of us to see, to fix our eyes, kind of like Hebrews 12 says, but, but also to fix our eyes in terms of seeing new. Help us see new. We pray boldly that you would help us see new. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.